Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. Welcome, Oliver, to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So uh, my name's Oliver Sully. I run Edge Tech. We're a recruitment business focused within edge technologies, I guess. So um, anything emerging tech, whether that's artificial intelligence, automation, intelligent automation as a, as a hybrid between them, and also moving, I guess, more into that generative AI side of things as well, which has really become popular over the past six months. Um, that's that's our main focus. We work across the board from UK, uh, Europe to US, Canada, and a, a little bit of Asia. Um, and in terms of the types of areas that we work in with that, we work with the whole spectrum from developers, project managers, through to sales guys, marketing and, and C-suites. So like to think that we have quite a nice broad overview and oversight of, of the industry as a whole at the moment. That's great. Thanks for, thanks for that. Uh, and you're right. I mean, I think AI has exploded. Uh, and, and someone was telling me yesterday that they think it's going to implode just as quickly because some of the stuff maybe looks better than it really is. I'm not an expert, really, so I, I don't know if that's true. We'll, we'll see. Maybe you want to tell us a bit about what the digital workspace means to you. Yeah, sure. And I think it's it's one of those things that can mean a whole lot of things to different people, isn't it? I mean, it, we started the business in 2018. And I think if you look at the digital workspace from 2018 to now, it, it's shifted so dramatically with everything that happened with, with COVID and, and this sort of thing. From in terms of the actual physical workspace, the majority of roles that we work on now are hybrid or, or often fully remote. If you speak to someone now about being in the office five days a week, they'll they'll gasp. They'll be surprised. They'll be what? They'd talk to you as if you were talking about working practices from 40 years ago. Yeah. But if you said that to them four years ago, and you offered maybe one or two days a week from home, they'd be like, "Oh, they're fairly flexible." But yeah. it's the shift's been so so big and so sudden because of necessity. So every company had to move to hybrid or, or remote, and people realised that it was possible. And and a lot of a lot of time in in tech roles and this sort of stuff, they they're sort of like, "Well, why why do I need to go back? What's what's the point?" And I think there's a whole lot of things that can be said on both sides of that of that fence. And I I know that I. I can sit on either, depending on the role and depending on who it is and, and this sort of stuff. But I think it's it's one of those things where it really depends on the company culture and this sort of thing. And then more to our side of automation, the the work not being done necessarily by the humans, the work being done by bots or overseen by humans, but the majority of the actual boring labor stuff side of it being done by, by robots. And, and again, five, six years ago, it just wasn't a thing. So I think we're at a really exciting time. I think some people are seeing it as a, as a scary time, potentially, for, for their jobs and, and this sort of thing. But I think that realistically, it, it's really exciting and look, gives us the opportunity to really focus on the stuff that the humans are good at, the stuff that the humans mm. are there for. You don't want to you don't want to sit there and be doing winning and clicking and moving a mouse around to, to copy and paste something five times. You want to do that to actually be able to innovate and be able to change and, and use your creativity and so i think if, if people look at it as that it's it's all about the mindset and, and how you frame it no i think 100 right i think the no one likes change 
uh, and especially if it's changed and you don't really understand how it all works, uh, yeah. which one of the concerns I have with all this is that we, you know, we're moving very quickly away from something that you could pull apart and look at or dig into the code and look at and, and understand what's going on, you know, because of a lot of cases, black box, which is the, which is the tricky part. But you're right. I think I think we we have to get away from doing the mundane. And you know, we talk, I had lunch yesterday, and we we're talking about how ChatGDP has become part of our workflow, and what would happen if we switched off now? Mm. You know, now you'd have to the, the thing that you were doing in five minutes because you got used to doing it with writing prompts, which would have taken you maybe a day or two. Now you're going to have to do that again in a day or two because you don't have this thing. So I think we, you know, it's not going to be you know, the toothpaste is out of the tube. Can't put it back yeah. in. So. So I think we're on that that path now. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I think, as, as you mentioned, sort of with it sort of exploding and imploding at the same time, I think it's people understanding that there are limitations to it and the people who are hyping it up and this sort of stuff make it make it seem like it's unlimited at the moment, make it seem like there's anything that you can imagine it can do, which isn't necessarily true. And I think there there are things that aren't, that aren't helping it. I was on LinkedIn yesterday and I saw a video of someone playing a robot or table tennis. And I looked at it and I was like, that's fake. And you, if you scroll enough in the comments and stuff, you'd be like, oh, someone's just CGI'd a robot onto this and it looks like they're really comfortably taking table tennis. But if you look at the other 100 comments, all of them are like, oh my God, this is how it's going to be in the future and this is how it is now. And if we're already here, how is it going to be in five years' time? And and realistically, you just have to look at like Boston Dynamics and, and this sort of stuff to know that actual physical robots are nowhere near nowhere near that and, and they're still a long way off and it's it's one of those things where i think black mirror all of these sorts of tv shows that the majority of people watch yeah. uh, making a uh, fantasizing it and making it think that it's, it's a lot closer than it is and we can stick in our little bubble little bubble in tech and be like well we know what it's good for but 99 percent of people uh, are there thinking oh my god if it can do this how long is it mm-hmm. going to be until it starts really thinking for itself and taking over and, and all of this sort of stuff and i think you've still got to remember that it works for you and it's only doing stuff that works for you it's not it's not going mad yeah it's not it's not smart enough though i mean it, it, it's 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 more efficient more effective yeah but it's not you know it's only because it's it's got the processing power to follow the, the logical path that it's that's been determined but it's not thinking for itself um and and i think yeah for for a lot of us, we we kind of blur the movies with the stories with the the real life because you know that's how our brain works. We everything's visual, so it's very yeah. easy to go in the dots from Terminator to exactly, but or, or even War of the Worlds kind of and all the worlds. Um, what was that movie back in the eighties, nineties? Um, oh, it's gonna irritate me now. Anyway, oh, you're, push, guy, you're pushing me on age here. The guy, the guy <laughs> that hacks. Oh, you probably wouldn't even know. He so he hacks. You know, this is like oh, war late. games. War games, that's the one, yeah. you know, where he's, shall we play a game with this yeah. uh, supposed AI? Uh, I don't think we're there yet. Um, although there was there was some drone footage of an AI supposedly flying a drone and shooting a, a human. But you see, you don't, you don't know if it's real or, or not. Or And, that, and that's, that's the problem with half of it, I think. It's, it's a lot of stories, a lot of, oh, I've seen this, but as just as well as the AI can do that stuff, it can also make that stuff up. And I think that's, as you know, there's all of the stuff going around at the moment in terms of fabricated things in generation. So I think that's more of it. I did see, I did, I did have a see someone tweeting saying that um, the future that I was looking for wasn't where I'm going to be doing all the manual labor and then the computers are going to be the ones writing the poetry and making the art, which is sort of the case at the moment. But yeah. 
No, you're you're right, and and um, so the the thing that I was talking to someone about yesterday, which I think is is, is along the same lines, is we still have that point where it still takes a lot of effort to get the value out of, out of and I call it narrow AI sure. or, or very very narrow AI. At some point, yes, it'll become the other way around. But like you said, you know, the technology people know what's coming and they and they're working on it. But it's not, you know, JTP is probably the first one that's actually crossed the chasm to say this is something the end user can play with and yeah. use. And Copilot, which is coming through the Microsoft stack, can definitely see that adding value. I mean, we were talking yesterday about, you know, how great it would be to just not have to go and create that PowerPoint deck because yeah. you can just tell Copilot to go create the PowerPoint deck. Um, like it's going to be like a next ge- generation clippy type thing that's actually well, let's, useful. Let's hope it's not clippy, but let's hope it's <laughs> useful. But even, you know, if you think about code development, as much as people say, oh, it's end of developers, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think you're still going to have, you're going to, it's going to be helpful to generate yeah. some code, but someone's going to have to make sure that code actually works and makes exactly. sense. And, you know. And I think it's it's one of those things, I there was a stat that I saw a few years ago, and it was something along the lines of 80% of primary elementary school kids, when they have jobs, those jobs don't exist now. So when when they start, so how can you teach, how can you train them up for it? If you look at what looks like a viable career at the moment and a viable job is a prompt engineer, um, someone who can, who can write the prompts, who can, who can knows how to work chat GPT, Bard, whatever it is, but knows how to work it really accurately. So it comes out with the right thing every time. If I mentioned that to you 12 months ago, you'd be yeah. like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's moving so quickly at the moment, but still, it's still a type of tech role. And it's a role that people within tech are going to move into another role within tech. So within that, it just means that there's no real way that you can understand what's going to happen. And we can all prophesize about it. We can all try and make our predictions. But whatever anyone says, they're still just shooting into the dark, I think. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned prop engineers as well, because we were talking about that as well yesterday. And I don't know what I was doing. I think I was doing something where I, where I needed to generate a, a job description or something. And I found an example of a prompt engineer actually writing that with ChatGDP. And I actually hadn't even thought about some of the stuff that they put in there. Things like, so obviously you get the instruction, like pretend you're going to be X, Y, and Z to write this piece of text. Like we all know that one. But then there was things like, make sure this is no longer than 260 characters. If this is longer than 260 characters, rewrite the text. Make sure this is unbiased. Make sure this is uh, unbi- sorry, unbiased from a, a racial point of view. Make sure this is um, generic. You know, like there was all these little things that I was like, huh, now, now I understand what a problem engineer would do. Sure. Now, I, I think it, that would be one of those roles that would probably be quickly become a role and then quickly be absorbed into a skill set that you just have. Yeah. As one of those weird things, like it would exist for a period of time and then just be absorbed and be gone. Sure. No, no, I, I get what you mean there. I think it's going to be super valuable for a period of time, but also it's going to be one of those things where people pretty quickly are going to be like, but I don't want to pay for someone to just do this. Like, it, like why, why am I doing that? It, within a, it's going to be a real useful skill, but a, a business isn't going to want to pay people specifically just to do that because they're, they're going to add a, add a certain amount of value, but they're, they're basically just adding any value that ChatGPT can. They're not necessarily adding their own and they have to get the other expertise from someone else so whether it's that or whether it's just the ai becomes more advanced so you don't need them i think it, it, it's one of those situations where it's going to be a flash in the pan but it will be a real big flash yeah yeah and, and, and as i said i think it's a skill set and, and i think you know maybe your typical business analyst or your system analyst would probably be doing that stuff or your data analyst 
because they would understand the context. Because that's, I think, the, the part that AI will never understand is what's the context yeah. question. Because you can build your own prompt. I mean, I, I was doing it with, with sort of Notion where I had like a few columns in a row. And then I would just input the one that the input, which would be my actual question. And then the, the prompts would just be me selecting options to build the prompt. Um, so I don't think it's that far away from being an automated. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and it's one of those situations. So we work really heavily within robotic process automation, which is, yeah. I guess, a, a lower level of that. So um, nothing to do with manual, manual labor. I know people get confused with the term robotic, but um, automating invoices, automating anything that you can point and click at. It, it'll do that. And I remember I was speaking to a head of within it and they were talking about their training academy. And one of the first things they train people on is how you define that process. And they did it by asking people, how would you make a cup of tea? And when they say, well, they'd like, I put water in a kettle, I boil the kettle, I'd put the water in the tea and I put the tea bag in there. And then when it's done to my level, I'll take the tea bag out. If you need sugar or milk, we'll do that. And it's like, say, seven steps. And then they pour out of a like cup, pour out of a bag. 45 steps and they're like this is how many steps are in that process of make of boiling the kettle do you check if the power's on if the power's not on what do you do all, all of these sorts of things that you don't think of because it's just human nature you're just like well i know all of those things already and it's yeah. realizing that there's so many steps to everything that you really need to start from ground zero to work towards that and it's exactly the same with this it, it's working out what sort of things do i need to know which i don't think i need to know because in my head they're obvious yeah, no, you, and you're right. And, and to be honest, my my impression of RPA to some extent is it's just moving the mess from one place to another place. Um, because I mean, there's there's value in RPA. Don't get me wrong. You know, to to go and have a whole bunch of agents that are filling in people filling in stuff in the same manner that you can automate. Definitely agree with that. My background is more integration, so I'd be like, why are you doing that? Why don't you just integrate it? Um, or you know, you've got two separate systems that do kind of the same thing bring them together and have a golden source. But those things take time. So my, yeah. my perception of RPA and the value has always been, you can train the RPA um, agent with using, you know, um, what's Access Anyway, I think is the, the one or one of those companies to do that stuff in a shorter period of time than it would take to do the integrations. You know, and some products don't didn't have APIs for a long yeah. time, you know, especially if it's like a, a, a mainframe based product. Um, and then while you get that running, you could then do the integration if it made sense or whatever it is. So I think there's there's you know sort of a horses for courses conversation there. But I yeah. think that, that that failure logic that you mentioned, I think people don't think about that at all. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to get my house fairly smart at the moment, and I'm talking about like smart light switches and, and all that stuff. And one of the things that I have, which sounds very stupid, is I want when I, I turn off some certain plugs at night. Because they 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 create a hum and the hum irritates me when I when we when in the room. So they, every morning at six thirty they turn back on again. And the first thing I want to have happen when that thing turns on that plug is that the ice machine must start. And I've been trying to find a little button to press the ice machine. And the problem I'm having is for some reason when we turn the switch on that button doesn't switch on. And I cannot figure out what this little push button thing is. And I cannot figure out what that is. And and I've to support it, it, it registers on the Wi-Fi, but it's almost like it resets itself. Now, that would be where you'd want the sort of, sort of RPA bit of instruction set to go, okay, in this case, you need to do the reset to reload instructions so you know to press the button at 6.31. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a buggy. I've got, I've got the, the, the Monday morning built one, you know, after the big hangover. 
But that, but you know, it's going to the, trying to do these simple, simple, simple things. You start realizing how like bad Wi-Fi, bad power, you know, the human interaction where we like my my son knocked it off the button, so it didn't work. You know, there's there's no way to know that. So like if we're, if we're if I'm not downstairs, I wouldn't have known that. You know, these silly things. But but I think it's that whole process that we take for granted because we 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 ignore the things that we do often become because it's routine becomes conscious um, unconscious competence. Which is where I think AIs are great to call those things out as well, so so they can almost deconstruct that stuff. Um, you know, so like if you go write a, a, a standard operating procedure and you ask ChatGPT to give it to you, it'll give you a lot of steps. Yeah, because it's it's analyzed so much content that tells you all these steps, and you might go, okay, well, there's 29 steps here. We only need 15, but you probably wouldn't have come up with 15. You probably come up with seven because. That's what you were thinking about at the time. And then only yeah. after experimenting and iterating would you come up with the other five or or eight to get to 15. Exactly. No, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, when, when you mentioned that RPA side of things, I was speaking to a guy last week and he, he put it fairly clearly, which was people are saying, oh, RPA is just a bandage and, and this sort of thing. It's like, but if I've got a cut, I want a bandage. Yeah. I want a Band-Aid. I want a Band-Aid. I don't need a big old, I don't need a big old huge bandage around my arm. I just want like a little Band-Aid. Just something that's going to fix it. I just need something that's going to sort it for the time being. It doesn't need to be a whole big thing, but it needs to be something. It needs to be something that can that can fix it in that in-between. And as you say, that works. And then whether people move on, whether people use integration, whether people maybe use more of a whole in, intelligent automation IA solution. Something yeah. that's got a, a bit more more to it. So that's doing the process mining, the process analyzing, and then bringing it in board, maybe got some intelligent document processing and then moves on to chatbots or anything like that. So you can interact with it. And I think that's, it's the virtual assistant side of things, which is within business, especially that's useful where it's like, oh, this is flagged up. This needs a human's attention a couple of times. And that's when it pings up to you and you can look and you can be like, oh yeah, that is right. And you send it back to it. Or if you, even for like internal training, when you're messaging, like, how do I do this? And then it can bring all of these things up. I think those sorts of areas, they're not other people's jobs necessarily. They're just ways that make your life well, easier. But but you say they're not other people's jobs, but this is the irony, is it becomes someone else's job because every time someone else needs help, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with helping people, but every time someone else reaches out to get help from you for something that is simple, yeah, you're taking away someone else from the work they were doing. And there's, there's actually a cost to that. We've got to sure. afford that for it. Um, now, when I, when I started my first career um long time ago um we had a, a thing google it like if you want to know how to do it google it. don't come ask me you google it. i don't you know and if you google it then you can't find out what to do then you come talk to me and i get frustrated with people now even today and they come to me and they say i don't know how to do this thing and i and i, and I literally say well have you figured it have you googled it have you asked have you no i've done none of those things well then no come to me come go away like go and yeah. figure it out because you need to try otherwise you'll never learn and I think this is the, the 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 concern that I have, and I was talking about this yesterday as well, where you're going to go and have people generating code, they're going to go and build spreadsheets that are coming out from AI, they have no idea how it was put together, and they're just going to go, well, it was generated, here's the answer. You're like, no, now you have now that you've generated, you actually have to be double critical of it, because you don't know where it came from, so you have to ask questions of it so that you are comfortable with it, and then you also have to give it that last sort of sense check, because you know you're closer to it now so you have to um think so i i think there's there's there are risks to it in the sense that people are gonna forget quickly how 
deep their knowledge has to be of something before they pass it on to somebody else. Yeah, and I think on on that first thing, people in my office hate me because there's a website called Let Me Google That For You, and I'll oh, type yeah. it in, and then I'll send them the link, and I'll be like, this answers it for you, and then they open it and it gets them every time. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think I think you're right, and I think that's why, as you say, there still needs to be those technical skills and technical expertise overseeing it. I think the main concern isn't in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I think the, the main concern is in 30 years' time when those people aren't working anymore. When when you sit down with, with your kids and, and this sort of stuff and you point at the save icon on Word yeah, and they look at it and they're like, that's a save icon. I don't know what else that is. It, it's a similar sort of thing. They don't know what a floppy disk is. Like These people won't know what life is like without chat GPT, without any of these things yeah. that they can rely on. And then that's when you've got to hope that they've got some guidelines or safeguarding in place because otherwise you're just going to get to a point where you've got the prime minister asking chat gpt what to do with the budget i mean it probably couldn't be any worse it probably wouldn't be a bad thing but well you know one of the guys said yesterday he used chat GPT to work out the amortization on his mortgage yeah. um we said you know and he said it wasn't so much that it worked it out for him it gave him the the macro or macro uh, the vba script to put into excel to do it for him and i would have done the same thing but I would have still probably gone to the bank website or the, you know, where I would normally have gone and put the numbers in, just check that they were kind of the same. Yeah. Because you need to have that validation, I think, uh, at least at least now. Um, I mean, I think we're a long way from the sort of Star Trek world where yeah. you say computer do this and it does it and you're like, that's 100% accurate, you know. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it, it's always, the next advancement always seems so alien to us, but it also did 30 years ago. Yeah. When when any advancement came around 20 years ago, when it was the first iPhone, you were like, well, it's only going to be a matter of time until like actual full um, augmented reality is a thing. And, and that's still not a thing. But you could have said that 20 years ago and people would be like, oh, it's only a few years off with like Google Lens and, and this sort of stuff. But nothing's ever really come of it because it still doesn't really work. And there's all of the concepts of it. And there are all these concepts 50 years ago. And they're like, oh, well, in, like, what, when was Back to the Future? 2000 and eight 2013 something like that the the yeah. future one and but people are like that's probably realistic that's probably what's going to happen and we're a lot closer to how we still were then than we are and it's the rate of changes is going exponentially I'm, I'm not saying it's not but I, I still think people are expecting a lot more than it is for plenty of years to come yeah and that expe- exponential change what's interesting about that is for those that are in the stuff it's going really quickly hmm for those that are not in it, you know, I was talking about, my, you know, off the about Mossel Bay, where with like the retirement capital of South Africa. You know, these are people that are still struggling with using an iPhone and WhatsApp. You know, the concept of a chat GDP, you can't even you can't even explain that to, to a lot of yeah. them. You know, there's people that will understand that will follow, but there's a lot that don't. And when you look at, you know, some of these other things like um, using a CRM or, you know, doing online banking. They haven't got that stuff. Right. So now this concept of, of, of an AI potentially getting involved and going through your transactions and, you know, doing your investing for you and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think that's a, a fear factor that, that's that's a magnitude uh, too much for a lot of people. So I think the adoption, that's what I think. I kind of agreed that there'll be a fizzle out at some point because it'll become, people. a lot of people get used to it, like very much talking on Teams and Zoom. Everyone's gotten used to it now and FaceTime and WhatsApp. And then there'll be this, Suddenly, like, oh my God, we've got this co-pilot thing, and then we'll get used to it, and then there'll be another thing, and then it'll fall into the background. Like AR and VR has not 
has not materialized. No. You know, it's become, that, that's become technically viable for a long time, but it just hasn't materialized. Yeah, and it, it, it works. There's niche areas. I've seen it working in engineering and this sort of stuff where it can spot parts for you and help you build things and this sort of stuff where it's great. Yeah. But it's not day-to-day use and it's not day-to-day use for the majority of people. I think you're right. I mean, I was in the bank yesterday and there was a, a guy who was, he was an elderly gentleman and he was trying to get cash out and they were like, oh, you could use the cash machine. He's like, oh, no, I can't because my card doesn't have a pin. Just refused to believe this card had a pin. It was like, no, uh. mine doesn't because I don't know. It. And it, it's one of those things. It's like, well, I know every card has a pin, but he doesn't. And it's not, it's just because he's never been taught it he's never grown up with it he's just happened so late in his life for him that he hasn't felt the need to take it i guess the question is with more and more people being digital natives is it going to are people going to be able to pick this up a lot quicker in 20 years time when realistically the majority of the population are going to have been in a relative internet era to the mm. point that, especially in the workforce, most people in the workforce within 20 years are all going to have grown up with the internet. They're going to have grown up. I still remember what it was like when I was younger and Google wasn't a thing. And there was a text message service that you could text and you'd ask it questions. You'd pay like two pounds of text and it would respond mm. back to you and, and this sort of thing. And that felt that felt amazing at the time. And then yeah. Google came out that answered all of these things. And that was unbelievable. But for m- people really any younger than me, that's not a thing. They've always had Google. They've always had any answer to uh, the sort of uh, their fingertips. And so does this feel just more like an extension of that to them so that it's going to integrate fairly easily? I don't know. You'd probably have to ask them. No, sure. I mean, I mean, you know, I've got two young kids and we see it with them. I mean, my, my daughter's two and a half and she walks up to the TV and she presses the screen because that's what she expects. You know, my son's five and I give him the TV remote to change the channels. Doesn't want to use the TV remote. He, he wants to ask Alexa to change the TV. You know, that's that's their expectation. They don't have, uh, you know, any reason not to think it's going to work. There. I mean, our car works with Alexa, so they want music, they shout in the back, Alexa, play this song. You know, I don't even control the radio anymore. Oh, there we go. There's Alexa. <laughs> Hang on a second. Let me Always listening. Put on um, quickly. Don't want to hear Baby Shark playing. Oh, no, no, no. Please, no. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this is the thing that... It's always made me, and maybe this is when you get older, you look back at the younger generations and you think, ah, oh, they don't know like we used to know it. But I think people need to, like, I don't understand how, how a large language model works personally, right? So I've been, I, every Friday I spend two hours researching something. So my Friday this week will be on large language models. Because in, and, and the way I've figured these things out that they need to be done is I talk to a whole lot of people in a week. And if a, if a concept comes up a few times, then that's what the research is about. So Three people I've spoken to this week have mentioned building LLMs. So now I'm going to understand how LLM works. I mean, I, conceptually, I understand how they work. Sure. But, but I actually want to now understand, like, if you wanted to build one, how would you build one? Because it should be something now that I would dare say you could probably go to Azure and press a button and get a service that is your LLM. Already. Yeah. What it needs is data. Yeah, I think there was... Oh, obviously, ChatGPT first started as open as open source, and, yeah. and then it got taken away from it. And I think one of those things is I don't think it's necessarily hard to do, but I think it's just the cost of it. Obviously, the cost of all of the the processing power and, and server space and all of this sort of stuff is just now so out of the hands and out of bounds for open source and the hobbyists and and this sort of stuff that it's it's just going to end up being a a world of corporations trying to fight for each other but it but it's odd isn't it because everyone talks about chat gpt now no one chat gpt is very much the noun for it yes. like 
like yeah. jacuzzi and, and tub, type thing, like vacuum and hoover like you you just use the, the company name to to cover all of it um but if you think if you can name me one company that did the first one that is still around and the most successful in whatever technology i'd be surprised because what friends reunited myspace those sorts of things i mean mm. nokia nokia for iphone for phones and and even blackberry the, these sorts of things like all of the first movers in in every single one are all now gone pretty much there's yeah. not really many that are still around and it might be the one that defies the rule because it's so well known and because it's so but you'd have said that about every single one wouldn't you i think when it for the first couple of years when they've come out well i, I mean i think to be fair on the chat one i think i think because i mean it's up on my screen next to me uh it's so ubiquitous mm. um, i don't even consider it bard uh, which is bad out no. you know that's on my list as well but the the thing is because of their partnerships i mean the microsoft you know for 10 billion in they incorporated so so i think what will happen is the chat gdb brand will, will be like coke it'll always be there yeah but but you'll just find it in everything it's be white labeled yeah, it, it, yeah. You, you just don't know who. You, and and you know, I was talking to a friend yesterday. He's got a specific company that he runs, and they're doing a specific LLM. Their LLM might be unique for a while, and then it won't be unique anymore yeah. because you know it'll be eaten by the ones. But then I think also in some respects it'll be good to have different LLMs that are specialized and usually less compute space and, and oh, capacity uh, to the point that you can get it on a Raspberry Pi. You know, the chips yeah. that are actually built and. You know, that's that's the interesting thing for me is is you sort of sort of see how Nvidia and what's that one TTM I think it is what their financial reports are talking about the kind of chips they're building um, that that also are exponentially making the ability to, to process AI or, or deliver AI narrow AI capabilities that much more efficient that um, you know even the, even the iPhones that are coming have already got some AI capability built into them the sort of, sort of narrow, narrow stuff. You know that the LAMs might go away in some respects because it's becoming distributed LAM, LLM, yeah. or I don't know how. You know, again, I don't know how it all works. So I'm, I'm kind of guessing. I am guessing, or kind of. But that's that's the exciting thing about it. I think we will we'll see massive improvements, and then I think it'll lull down, and then we'll see another massive thing. And I think one of those things is going to be the deep fake thing. I think that's going to become so prevalent that it's going to be a huge problem. Uh, and and then that's where you'll need the AI fighting the AI, sort of to authenticate and qualify and confirm that actually that was Joe Bloggs walking down the road of the machine gun. And yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think one positive that could potentially come from it, if you can call it a positive, is maybe just people being a bit more skeptical about yeah. everything they read and everything they see. Because people take people take everything just as truth. Even as I said, that that video of that robot um, that was clearly CGI, everyone just sees it once and like, well, it's on video or it's on picture, so it must be true. So maybe at least because you, you've been in tech long enough, I've been in tech long enough to know that Photoshop's existed for ages and all of yeah. these sorts of stuff. But if you, as you say, if you're showing this to the majority of people, something that's just a half decent Photoshop, no one's going to know. And yeah. so at least maybe this will, the positive will be, it will just make people a bit more critical about things they see online, whether it's articles, whether it's videos, whether it's pictures, it'll mean that people will have to use a bit more skepticism and use their own critical thinking a bit more to actually work out if things are real. And maybe we can see that as, as a positive, I guess, that comes mm. out of this. Yeah, no, sure, sure. I mean, I think there's, it's kind of a wait and see in some respects to see what, what actually materializes. Uh, what, what are you finding in the market? I mean, are you getting, 
are you seeing roles that are, are very AI specific, like a chief AI role or a, or something like that? It's I think people like to hire what they know. Yeah. So I I think also if you naturally if you put a word a hyped word in front of any job title you're suddenly adding twenty percent onto the salary when it's the same thing. Hmm. Um. So we've seen it over the past years with AI, with RPA, with chatbots, all of this sort of stuff. As soon as you put that word in, you're like, well, I want twenty grand more now. Um. So people are trying to avoid it. Data science. We're seeing a lot of data science hiring, more and more data science hiring, machine learning, th- this sort of stuff. I think is is what people are sticking to. And but you're seeing people on their on job descriptions being like, you need experience of ChatGPT, and it's like, what experience do you want me to have? <laughs> it's been out. It's been out for six months. What, yeah. It's been out since what November last year was when 3.5 first came out for the public. It's been out for not even a year. You're asking me for, for experience with it. No company's got any guidelines about what's being used. So at the moment, everyone's just flying by the seat of their pants, doing whatever they want, completely unregulated. Yeah. So, yeah, I can I can show you what I've done, but there's no framework around it. It's just yeah. been me toying around with it. And when people are like they must have experience with it, it's like, but what what part of it? Especially if they're not necessarily doing the prompt side of things, they're just doing other stuff, but they want to integrate it with it. And I think people need to realise that while the technology is great and the technology is mainly new, the way you're interacting with it probably isn't that new. And the way that you're incorporating it into the business still has to be fairly safeguarded still has to be fairly ring fenced in terms of how you're letting it access everything and what it's accessing and and all of this sort of stuff and and then at that point as as you're saying it's just an integration job yeah no and and and, you know a lot of these things i mean i always laugh when it's like you need experience in this thing it's like you know i want an entry-level role but you need five years experience in the role before you enter level it it, yeah doesn't make sense i mean i think what i what i'm hearing in the market is very much people are putting in policies procedures to limit use of these tools uh and they are prescribing that if you do use the tools it has to be via the api not through the, the sort of chat.openai.com or unless you're on a on a premium contract and you're definitely turning off the ability for ChatGDP to use your your data to learn so i think those are good things and, I, and i've heard anecdotally of of sort of ai roles being created uh, and then just dis- and then just dis- then not created and then basically giving the responsibility to somebody else um yeah because of of that inflationary aspect to it and i don't think there's many people that could really say that are experts on ai because it's such a big broad topic uh i'll be i'll might- be worried if someone said they were yeah yeah no exactly because I, I, I mean just being for example computer vision uh skilled is very different to say yeah. nlp skilled yeah um so yeah, I think it's gonna be interesting to see how people how the market plays out in some respects. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's almost a situation with a lot of these big companies of keeping up with the Joneses effect. Oh. They see that their competitors done something with AI, it's got a big spread in a newspaper that their competitors doing something with open AI or or they've made a new partnership and then they're yeah. like, Well, their their share price has gone up, so what can we do? And they're like, What what do you want to do? I say, like, I don't care. As long as it's got AI in it, I, I don't care. We just need to do something with it. And then that's yeah. when you say these sorts of roles come out and then the person sits there and like, what do you want me to do? And they're like, We don't really know. Yeah, so that that's I- why that's why it fizzles. Yeah, there's no value to it. There's no outcome-driven thing to it. And and this is the thing. I mean, we were we were building a piece of functionality, and I actually asked the customer, "Would you be interested in this with with like Chat TDP flavor to it?" In the sense of, you know, you're seeing in this information, we could repurpose it, you know, make it more professional and all that kind of stuff. And he actually said, "Don't," because the minute you mention that 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 thing, you'll you'll be out. We, we won't be interested because we don't want that thing, you know, because it's it's we're not at that stage yet. 
So I think there's a, for those that don't have the regulatory requirements, you can go and use these tools. For those that do, it is a lot that has to be written before they'll even touch it. So yeah. you don't need to be cutting edge. You just need to be comfortable with it, I guess. It just needs to work. You need to make yeah. something that works and is what they want. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Great. I mean, this has been a great conversation. Is there anything yeah, you want to share with anybody else to get in contact with you? That sort of thing? Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Obviously, my, my contact details will be below. But if you're ever looking to find out more about the emerging tech space or anything like that, we've got a few events throughout the year that we always post about. Feel free to connect with myself, Ollie Sully, on, on LinkedIn or follow Edge Tech, and we'll keep you up to date with anything you need to know. Super. It's great having you on here. It's been a great conversation. Perfect. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues. 